0: Please open your Bible to Joshua, chapter 24. Joshua in the Old Testament and chapter 24. As we seek to prepare for Christmas, what is it that we need to hear to help us so that we can prepare so we can celebrate Christmas properly? Why do we celebrate Christmas anyway? Jesus' birthday. That's right, Jesus' birthday. Because the Savior Lord came to earth as a human being, the limitless God became a helpless human baby, it was incredible what he did. He lived a perfect life, conquering sin, dominating every temptation, did the impossible. He died to save us from our sins. And you know, sometimes we as Christians, that we've kind of gotten used to hearing that. We've kind of gotten used to saying that. But we think about it, in, in mid-high this week, we went through how sin assaults every part of God's character. And so sometimes we don't, we don't recognize the sinfulness of sin. And so we talked about that Wednesday night with the youth, and, and just, to, just to give us a, a, an illustration, it's like someone coming to you and saying, you've been forgiven all of your debt, and thinking, well, that was great, wonderful, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, don't, I didn't even know I had any debt. But to be told, you owed trillions of dollars of debt, and there was no way that you were going to be able to repay any of it, and then they were going to torture you until you paid all of that debt, but now it has been forgiven. We, we have a little bit better of an idea of what it was like for Jesus to pay for our sins, and that was just for my sins. He paid for your sins. On the cross, as he died, he he paid for those sins because of our sins. Every sin committed, he paid for, and they are now forgiven. Yet, God also sent his son to pay this penalty for our sins, which was fantastic. But when he died, he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave, overpowering death. So his victory was not just over our sins, but over death. He did, again, the impossible. His victory is over sin and death. And it all started with his birth, his birth at Christmas. And so this is a monumental celebration in the life of a believer, this celebration that Jesus was born a human being just like us. But if it's so big and so important, how can we ensure that we celebrate it properly, correctly? The world is going to try to distract us from the reason for our celebration, aren't they? The world will distract us with good things, feelings of warmth and generosity, the importance of family and friends, the excitement of cold weather and snow. Lord willing, we'll get some snow this season. (laughs) But the spirit of Christmas, right? We'll hear all about the spirit of Christmas and chestnuts roasting in a winter wonderland. During the most wonderful time of the year, while jingle bells and silver bells remind us that it's Christmas time. So Santa Claus is coming to town and Rudolph at the front of his sleigh with Frosty the snowman playing around and the season of giving. And that's what the world will remind us that the spirit of Christmas is all about. But as nice and as fun as those things may be and as good as some of those things may be, none of them will directly point us to the reason that we have for celebrating Christmas. None of it will prepare us to celebrate rightly Jesus' birth. Much of that may come as we do celebrate and as we rightly celebrate. Much of that will come. But what do we need to hear to help ensure that we celebrate rightly? And celebrate we should, amen? I mean, as Christians, we of all people should be celebrating Christmas, the birth of Jesus as a human being. But if snow and friends and family and gifts won't help us celebrate properly or even prepare to celebrate, what will? As always, but even more now, what we need to hear is the word of Christ, the word of God. But it's more than hearing. It's more than hearing the word of God, and it's more than just knowing it. To celebrate Christmas properly, we need to listen to Jesus, to his word, To listen means to hear, it means to know, it means to love, and it means to do. So it may be surprising to you that we turn to the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 24, to hear the word of Christ, the word of God. But uh, we're going to pray and then we're going to get started here and Lord willing, this will help us to hear the word of Christ. Father, we pray that as we do come to your word now, that you would speak to us, that we would listen to Christ to his words, to his teachings. And Father, we pray that you would change us as a result of hearing, that we would listen and know and love and obey in, in Jesus' name. Well, from here in Joshua 24, we're, we're heading toward Judges chapter 13. And again, this may seem like a surprising Advent-type message, preparing for uh, the, the Savior's birth. But again, Lord willing, this will help us to prepare for Christmas, for the true joy and hope and peace that he brings us at Christmas. So God has redeemed Israel from Egypt at this point in history. And in Joshua chapter 24, they've seen the 10 plagues of Egypt. If we remember from Exodus, they've gone through the Red Sea. They've walked through it on dry land. They've crossed the Jordan River on dry land. God has given them his word, his commandments, his promises. But after seeing all of that, the people of Israel have disobeyed God. They've not trusted his promises. They've not listened to him. And so you remember they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years before they were able to cross that Red Sea. But God has preserved his people. He's kept his word and his promises. And so now, even though that generation passed away, there's a generation now that's there and they are listening to Joshua teach them and remind them. Even Moses had disobeyed God. And Moses wasn't there, remember? He had trained up this Joshua, this assistant. And Joshua had led them in. And under him, according to God's promise, the people of Israel had entered the land. They had started south on this campaign to take the land. And they had worked their way back up north. And they had asserted their presence. This tiny wandering group of ex-slaves from Egypt now in the promised land. And they're here. And Joshua, in chapter 24, verse 11, is quoting God. And God says to them, You went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, and the two kings of the Amorites. Here's the key. It was not by your sword or by your bow I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. God did it all. And he used their obedience. He used their faithfulness to, to obey what he had said and to, to fight as he told them to. He used their sword. He used them, but they, they listened to God. He, he, they obeyed, and he blessed them for that. And this is where Joshua challenges the people with that decision. This is the familiar part where he says, you need to decide whether you're going to serve God or idols. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people say, yeah, we're going to worship Him too. And Joshua says, no, you can't. You can't just half-heartedly worship the Lord. Half-hearted worship is never going to cut it. It's exclusive and it's total worship to this God if you're going to do that. Because God, brothers and sisters, has never been out for your money, your time, your things. God has always been out for you, your heart, all of you. Right? And so Joshua tells them that. Uh, here in, 20, in chapter 24, he says, if you're going to serve him, you need to serve him. And they said, yes, we will serve him. So then Joshua says in verse 23, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord the God of Israel. They agree. They write it down in the word of God. And then they set up this giant rock, this stone, to say, yes, we promise we're going to serve the Lord, we're going to love him, and and all of those things. But we've got a witness. Right here, we'll remember this always. So, So, at this point in their history, their job now is to continue cleaning the people out of the land that God tells them to clean out, to obey him, to trust in him, and he's going to accomplish his purpose through them as they obey him. They've asserted themselves, but there are still many of these ites and even termites in the land. And uh, the termites were okay. It was the rest of the ites that needed to go, okay? So God says, wipe them out and don't follow their gods, don't follow them. Now turn to Judges chapter 1. This is setting up the context of where we're heading. We're on we're route to Judges chapter 13, but now look in Judges chapter 1. The people are all still together, and they have this specific job to do. Listen to what the Lord has said to do. In Judges chapter 1 verse 19, the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. Okay, so far so good. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Now, wait, suddenly God's not with them anymore. Is that why they can't drive out these chariots of iron? No, he was with them as they were driving out the inhabitants. But now they encounter people and they say, well, now we can't obey. Now we can't listen to God. Here's our excuse, chariots of iron. We can't do it. We can't obey the Lord. We've always got reasons for not obeying the Lord, don't we? We can always find some kind of reason. Well, God, I'm tired. Well, well, God, I'm not an outgoing person. Well, God, I I don't have enough resources. Well, God, we've always got excuses. And this is what the excuses were for the tribe of Judah, one of the tribes of Israel. They knew God's word, but they found excuses not to obey it. As we hear the word of God, we need to work on destroying the excuses we come up with for not obeying what he says. Well, that's the tribe of Judah. What about Benjamin? Look in verse 21. The people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And what they did was they made servants or slaves of the people that were living there. Instead of destroying them as God had said to do because of their sin, consequences of their sin, their rebellion, God said to destroy them. Benjamin said, well, how about this, God? This will work better for us if we just keep them and make them servants, make them slaves. So they thought they had a better plan than God did. They weren't listening to God. They thought, hey, I've got a better idea. In verses 22 to 26 here, um, the, the house of Joseph conquered a city. But verse 27, Manasseh does the same thing that Benjamin did. Verse 29, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 31, Asher. Verse 33, Naphtali Verse 34, Dan, the people of Israel, the people of God, were disobeying God. They weren't listening to him. So look here in Judges chapter 2, verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thro- uh, thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Now, as soon as the angel of the Lord said that, they broke down and they cried and they were upset and they were sad and sorry for their sins. So in verses 6 through 10, they commit themselves again to following the Lord. If this was a Baptist service, they would have all come forward and rededicated their lives, right, to to following and obeying the Lord. But there's a a serious problem that's about to arise for the people. Look at verse 7. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Everyone that knew the work of the Lord, everyone that saw what God did, they followed the Lord, and and they were faithful to him. They were just children when they saw it all, but but they're following him. The problem comes in verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. That's a nice way of saying they all passed away. Here's the problem. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. That's a problem. That's a problem. How did that happen? How did it happen where you had a generation that that knew the Lord and saw His work and and praised Him and, and they were sorry over their sin and they committed to following Him and the very next generation didn't know Him, didn't know His work? How did that happen? Because the generation that knew the Lord didn't tell the next generation about the Lord. And so the result of that is that this generation, verse 11 The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They rebelled against the Lord from one generation to the next. A complete turnaround because they were not told. The people did not listen to the Lord because the Lord was not being told to them. Uh, His work, His person, they, they were distracted by other things. Things that were happening around them that they thought was more important. They talked to their kids about And they did not tell them about the Lord, so they abandoned him. They didn't keep their promise to the Lord that they would teach the next generation. But the Lord did keep his promise to them. He said, what would happen? If you turn from me, if you abandon me, you start worshiping false gods, that's not going to be successful. You're going to be conquered by other people. You're not going to be able to win the battles. You're going to be losing the battles. And so in chapter 2 of, of Judges here, we see the cycle of this period of history where the people of Israel fall under the hands of a, of a people that are conquering them. And, and they realize, oh, we've been sinful. They cry out to God, and God gives them a leader, deliverer, a judge. And they, that judge delivers them, and, and they see that things are good, and they say, oh, great, now we can go back to doing what we were doing before. And they go back into sin, and then people conquer them, and the cycle starts all over again. And chapter 2 is where that's explained, and that's what we see in the book of Judges. It was a time of disorganization and chaos, not listening to the Lord. In fact, Judges 21-25 sums up the whole period. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They were uh, following the the Disneyland instructions. (laughs) Follow your heart, right? (laughs) Follow your heart. Do whatever you want. Do what makes you happy. Have you ever sat in your comfortable chair, in your quiet times, in your devotionals, and you wondered, how can these silly people constantly fall away from the Lord? (laughs) Especially after all he had done for them, how can they be so foolish to fall away from the Lord? It happened when they did not listen to the Word of God. And there was fault with the previous generation because they didn't tell them, remember? But this generation did have the Word of God. They had the word of God themselves. They had that stone that was set up as a witness that said, we're going we're gonna to follow the Lord. They had the priests. They had the Levites. They had seen God deliver them from other nations during this time. So they weren't, it wasn't that they could blame everything on the previous generation. They, had, they were responsible to know God. And how do we know that for sure? Well, because chapter 3 verse 4 says, God left a lot of people in the land and they were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey The commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. God said, I'm going to find out whether they're going to seek me. Are they going to seek to know me? Are they going to listen to me? Because they didn't get that from their parents. But they should get it from his word. And so that cycle begins in Joshua, in Judges. The the cycle begins there. The people did evil. According to the Lord, he delivered them over to Mesopotamia and Israel served them for eight years and they cried out to God and he heard them. God heard his people crying out to him. He sent a judge and delivered them and it didn't last long. In verse 12, they did evil again. This time the Lord brings Moab for 18 years and they cry out to him. He brings another judge. In verse 31, it's the Philistines. Chapter 4, it's Canaan. and chapter 6, it's Midian. The Lord calls Gideon as the judge to deliver them. You remember Gideon here in Judges. God sent Jephthah again later against the Philistines, and the people were delivered, and three more judges came. And then now we come to Judges chapter 13 after just breathing through the cycle there in Judges, and here's where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning. Judges chapter 13. Verse 1 says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines, this time for 40 years. Forty years now. Remember, this generation was not alive during the Exodus. They weren't around during the wandering. This is another brand new generation, the one that did not know the Lord. Their parents didn't teach them. But at this point, again, not only do they have the word of God, they've now seen the Lord deliver them through these, these trials, these times of people coming against them. And that's why we set up the context to this point. They should not be doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Doing evil means turning from him, worshiping idols, the false gods, living in rebellion, not obeying, living in consistent sin, right? That's what they're doing. That's, that's how they're living. They should be loving Him and worshiping Him and turning to Him, not from Him. So the Lord brings discipline to them for their sin. This God is the sovereign God who gave them into the hands of the Philistines, verse 1 says. Now let's think about for a minute how similar our situation might be. How many of us can say that we had a previous generation before us that poured into our lives who the Lord is, all that He is and all that He did, all that He has done, in his word and for them. How many of us can say that we had a, a faithful generation pouring into us who the Lord is and was and will be? How many of us would say that we had faithful teachers at home or at church or somewhere else that taught us all about the Lord? How many of us would say that we were listening if we did have that, if we were blessed by that? How many young people here now this morning would say you're listening <laughs> or, or paying attention to what the Lord is, who he is, what he does, how he does it. Even still, brothers and sisters, even if we didn't have the previous generation, we have this word of God. How many of us would say that we study, that we read, that we listen to it, that we hear it, that we learn about our God and love and worship our God as we get to know him through it? How many of us would say that we spend time or how many of us would say that maybe we're a little bit more like Israel here, going through our life and we should be able to give testimony of God's faithfulness and his work, his love, his patience with us. Again, we sit in a comfortable chairs. we read about the foolish Israelites who were not faithful to God, but how different are we really in our life? As we see who God is, as we learn about him, as we hear about him, we might find that we're actually in a pretty similar place. Are there difficulties in our lives? as we've gone through first peter we walk through those we know we know that those things happen according to god's purposes he's working his plan in our life and we see that those are his grace he brings grace to us to bring us through to to help us through them to mold us and shape us into his image into the, the likeness of christ but remember in first peter some of the hardships that came to us were because of our own sin it was discipline for us because of our sin. When God brings trouble into our life because of sin, it's, it's discipline. It's meant to bring us back to him. And so before we can become joyful about all the wonderful, gracious ways that God is working in our life, sometimes we've got to recognize that some of the hard things that happen to us have, been, come, have come into our life because of sin. And we've got to confess the sin, turn away from that, and turn to him in faith. And that's part of what we need to hear as we prepare for Christmas. Christmas. That's what we've seen in Judges so far, that the people recognize we're in this trouble because of our sin, and they call out to God, and He delivers them. But this story will be different. Here in Judges 13, there is no deliverer yet. There's no strong leader judge for God to raise up. But even more than that, the people don't even cry out to God this time. They're steeped in their sin and they're steeped in the consequences of their sin and they're so enveloped by this that they don't even cry out to God. They don't even know that they can cry out to God because of what's happening. And it's at that moment, that, that helpless, hopeless moment for these people that Jesus steps in to this story. Look at verse 2 of Judges 13. There was a certain man of Zora, of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. The angel of the Lord appeared to that woman. The the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. Many times we see the angel of the Lord. He steps into our world and we see him often throughout the Old Testament. And sometimes he is an angel from the Lord. But many times this angel of the Lord, this messenger of the Lord is the Lord himself. And yet he's distinct from the Lord himself. He said, what do you mean? Do you remember in Exodus 3 when Moses saw that bush that was burning, but the the bush was not burned up? The, The fire that was on the bush that didn't burn it up and consume it? It was the angel of the Lord, Moses tells us. The angel of the Lord was in the bush and he was there. And he spoke to Moses. He said, take your sandals off your feet because you're on holy ground. And then he said, from the fire, the angel of the Lord said, I am the God of your father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's the angel of the Lord, and yet he is God. In Exodus 23, God is speaking to his people, and he says, I'm sending before you the angel of the Lord, and he says, God says about this angel, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression. This is is God, he says, for my name is in him. And verse 22 says, I will work for you when you obey him. This angel of the Lord gives commands as if he's God. This angel of the Lord chooses whether to pardon or not pardon, to forgive or not to forgive. Uh, This angel of the Lord has the name of Yahweh in him, the name of the Lord in him. We believe this angel of the Lord is Jesus himself before he was born as a man at Christmas. He's God and yet he's not the father God and he makes an appearance many times in the Old Testament. The preexistent Jesus as the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord doesn't just speak for God like angels do. He speaks as God. The angel of the Lord receives worship as only Yahweh, the Lord God, receives worship. Maybe many of the time, maybe most of the time we see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. It's the pre-incarnate Jesus himself our Savior who's come down to earth to be present with us, to help us, to deliver us. A recent survey found that only six in ten Christians know that Jesus existed before Christmas, before his birth as a human being. We need to know that our Jesus, Savior, Lord, God is God. He was preexistent before he was ever born on this earth that we celebrate at Christmas. And we need to be able to tell others about that. The same survey found that only 40% of people in America even knew that or, or believe that, that Jesus existed before Christmas. Why is this all important? It's important because Jesus is God, as God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews thirteen eight. And as we see and learn more about Jesus, even before becoming a man, we learn more about Him. It increases our love for Him and our worship of Him our adoration of him, and we begin to understand how he could take my sins and pay for them, not just as a man, but as God. And we understand more about our salvation and who Jesus is and what he did for us. Yet in these Christophanies, as they're called, when when Jesus Christ appears, Christophany, that's what they're called, there's an important difference between him in his preexistent appearances and when he came at Christmas. And we're going to see that in a minute, but let's look closely at this angel of the Lord here. This angel of the Lord, Jesus, meets with this woman, and as he does, he voices four powerful actions, four powerful actions. The first one in verse 3 is that Jesus shows our situation to us. Jesus speaks to us, and he shows us, he reveals to us our situation. The angel of the Lord, in verse 3, appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children. He is intimately aware of our situation. He knows what's happening in our life. He knows the things that are not happening. He knows all about us. He knows perfectly all about us. He knows how we're responding to those things that are happening and how we're not responding when we should. And as He speaks His word, He reveals us to us. He tells us about ourselves, the things that we need to know, what our problem is. For this woman, it was that she was barren and she had no child. And, And she knew that at the time. But this is the Lord revealing her situation to her, showing her, you need to know that I know your situation. For the rest of the people of Israel, their problem was that they were under the cruel oppression of the Philistines. And they needed to know that that was brought on them by God because of discipline for their sins. And they even know that, even though that they were not calling out to the Lord for help, Jesus knew their helpless situation. And he had come to... Remedy that with his perfect plan. Whether you know that you're in sin or whether you can see problems in your life and you don't know why, whether it's discipline or whatever it is, Jesus reveals to us our situation and why. It says in John 2, 24, that Jesus did not entrust himself to the people around him when he came because he knew all about people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows all about us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. He knows our sin. He knows our true problem. Our sin ruins everything it touches. It ruins us. It ruins our relationships with others. It ruins our relationship with God. So Jesus reveals that to us. He tells us, you have this problem. But he does it graciously like he does with this woman. So we need to hear his word at Christmas time to prepare. Next, number two, this angel of the Lord Jesus reveals prophecy to us. He reveals prophecy to us. Verse three, he says to the woman, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Jesus' words here. Here's your condition. Here's the problem that you have, but here's the solution. You can't do anything about it. <laughs> you can't fix it. You've done everything you can to try to fix it, but Jesus is here. He says the, the, the time is coming when that will no longer be your problem. <laughs> because Jesus is here to solve that problem. This is why God tells his people to listen to this angel of the Lord. This angel of the Lord speaks prophecy. He speaks God's truth to us. Jesus said in John 12, 49, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Jesus says, I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus speaks to us about our eternal life he speaks prophecy to us what it, will, what it will happen, how it will come about that we can be in glory with our father it 's not true yet because we still live here, but but that will change one day. Jesus speaks that prophecy to us as we listen to the word that comes from him. in fact, in revelation 19.13, not only is Jesus not only does he speak the word. In 1913 of Revelation, he is, his name is the word of God. In John 1, 1, he is the word who was God and with God. We need to hear Jesus as he reveals the Father's words to us. Jesus' words are the Father's words. So that's what we need to hear as he speaks. He not only tells us our condition, he gives us prophecy, but number three, as he speaks to this woman, he also shows that as the angel of the Lord, Jesus gives instructions to us. He gives us instructions for life. For this woman, he says in verse 4: therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. He gave her special instructions, specific instructions for the time of carrying this baby. And then how she was to feed him and treat him growing up. No wine, no strong drink, no unclean food, no razor. Why? Because he was to be a Nazarite from his youth, from the womb. Now, what Jesus could have said is, this child is going to be a Nazarite. Go read Numbers chapter 6 and you'll find out what that means. (laughs) Right? The the rules, the instructions for a Nazarite vow were already given to the people of Israel. Jesus could have said Listen to the word of God. This is what God already told you, now do it. Except that this boy is going to be a Nazarite from the time he's born until the time he dies. That's the only difference. How often do we need to hear again and again God's word to remind us what God has said, to remind us what we've forgotten, to remind us what we should be doing, all that God has already told us? I know how often it is for me, just about every day. (laughs) right? So Jesus gives these instructions and he spells them out for her, even though he could have said, just refer back to, you know, uh, farther back in the Old Testament. He says, here it is again. That's why we have so many instructions repeated over and over in, in the Scriptures. That's why we have so many exhortations for holiness in a Christian life, because we need to hear it again and again. Jesus said in Matthew 5:17, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, Jesus says, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished." Jesus explains and fulfills all of the law. When we believe in him, when we turn to him in faith, he does that for us and then he enables us to con- to begin to obey when we listen to him, when we believe in him. And that's why it's important to see what Jesus does in, in these, just in his voice, these powerful actions. Number four, the, the fourth one here that we'll look at is that in verse five, Jesus speaks deliverance to us. He speaks deliverance to this woman and to us. In verse five, uh, he will be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Your people will be delivered. They didn't even know they could be delivered. They didn't even cry out to God, but He's going to do that. And Jesus speaks deliverance because so often we don't even know that we're in sin. We've lost track that we've sinned and that we're in sin and we need salvation. And so Jesus comes and speaks deliverance. Jesus planned for this. Time was that he was going to have a physical person a physical man born he was going to use him to deliver them from the Philistines, and he was going to begin that deliverance. it says um, this man who would be born would not complete the deliverance it would, it would come later, but Jesus gave that deliverance he spoke that deliverance to them. and you remember when the religious leaders persecuted Jesus, they wanted to kill him for stating the truth he was trying to tell them the truth in John chapter five. Jesus began explaining to them in similar ways that he did with this woman. He, he revealed to them their condition in John 5. He said, because you don't believe, you're not listening to me, you don't have eternal life. He spoke to them the prophecy of what to come. He says, one day judgment is going to come and everyone's going to be raised up out of the, out of the graves and some are going to be raised up to life and some to eternal punishment. Jesus spoke instructions to them in John 5 that they needed to listen and to believe for salvation. And in all of that, he even spoke deliverance to those religious leaders in John 5. He says, I say these things so that you may be saved. He wasn't arguing with them in John 5. He was, he was explaining to them. He was giving them their condition, and the prophecy and the instructions and the deliverance, just as he does for this woman. Will you listen to Jesus at Christmas, and to help you prepare for Christmas. Will you listen to him now because he speaks to us deliverance from sin? And not just the beginning of the deliverance, but the completion of it. He has finished it. He's done all that is needed. The same Jesus who did these four powerful actions just by his voice is the same Jesus who comes at Christmas. And that's why we praise him. That's why we worship him. Now, there's a big difference between him coming here as the angel of the Lord and him coming at Christmas, and we're not there yet. We haven't seen that yet, but that's coming. This woman hears from the angel of the Lord these words. So what does she do? She goes directly to her husband, and she tells him what she just heard. And and so she and her husband must have had a very good relationship together because even though they've been suffering, not having a child, they're still close together. She runs to him. She says, look, I just saw this very awesome It says, very awesome person, I was scared, I was in awe, I didn't know anything about him except what he said, and you're not going to believe it. So she relates the prophecy and the instructions, but she leaves out the deliverance for some reason. When she tells her husband all that this angel of the Lord had said, because sometimes, brothers and sisters, we've got to admit that we only listen to what we want to hear, right? When Jesus is giving us instructions, when he's giving us prophecy, uh, we sometimes filter out well, I'm really looking forward to hearing this part. <laughs> I wasn't looking forward to hearing this much, this part so much, and um, I don't really want to hear this part. So she, he, she actually leaves out the deliverance of the nation that, that Jesus told her about. We need to make sure that as we're preparing to worship him at Christmas, that we're listening fully to him, not trying to pick out just what I think I should be hearing and what I think I want to hear and need to hear. We listen fully to his whole word everything that he says, and then we tell his full truth to other people. Now, she, she tells this truth to her husband, and she understands it's for life. In verse 7, she says the instructions are for their boy from womb to tomb. It covers his whole life to the day of his death. But Manoah is a little bit confused. He doesn't have the deliverance piece. He's, he's missing some pieces. So he prays, God, please send that angel back and, and give us those instructions. I want you to notice verse 9. This is explicitly stated for us here in verse 9 in this story so that we see this. Because remember that the people of Israel are not listening to God. But look at verse 9 when Manoah prays. Verse 9 says, And God listened to the voice of Manoah. What an amazing and gracious God we serve who will still listen to us even when we're not listening to him. God hears. God knows He's intimately involved in our lives and God's listening even as we pray to him, even as we neglect listening to him. But he hears Manoah's prayer and he answers the prayer, the, the gracious and patient God sends the angel of the Lord back to the woman. And this time, before he says anything, the woman gets up and runs very quickly, it says, to go get her husband. Says, come here, here he is, he came back. Look in verse 11. This is amazing. Manoah asked the angel, are you the angel that came? And the answer from this angel of the Lord is, I am. I am. Hmm. That's the Lord's name. Manoah believes the prophecy about a son being born, but he asks the two questions any parent would want to know. If an angel came to you and said, you're going to have a son, what would you say? Really, I'm going to have a son. What's it going to turn out like, right? What's it going to be like? What is to be the manner of the child's life, and what is his mission? What's it going to turn out like? Jesus answers only by repeating the truth he had already given. He gives them what they had, what they needed to know. They weren't listening for the deliverance part, so he doesn't repeat that. But the angel of the Lord, Jesus says, make sure she does what I told her to do. Everything that I said, she needs to do. Now, we're not told exactly what Manoah was thinking at this point, but he says, I need to feed you, whether an act of thankfulness for this prophecy that's coming, or just hospitality at the time, we, we stay here and, as we fix you a nice dinner. That's what he says. Just stay here. We need to thank you for this. And the angel of the Lord says, I'm not going to eat your food, but why don't you offer that to the Lord, to Yahweh, to, to God himself? Now, if this is Jesus, the angel of the Lord, why doesn't he say, okay, go ahead and offer that to me? Why doesn't he say that to Manoah? And verse 16 tells us why. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Jesus wasn't interested in Manoah's worship if he didn't know who he really was. If we're going to celebrate Jesus at Christmas time, he's not going to be interested in our worship if we're not in tune with who he is, who he's revealed himself to be and what he's come to do. He has not come to give us warm feelings and um, gift-giving times and, and snow, <laughs> He does give us all of that. But he came as our Savior, as our Lord. And and so if we're going to worship him, we need to hear him. We need to know him as he reveals himself. And so Manoah says, well, then tell me your name. If you're not going to accept our our hospitality, at least give me your name. So, well, probably so I can know who to call later on when I want more information. But he says, so we can honor you. Jesus' answer here is eye-opening. Look at verse 18 for Jesus to answer this question what is your name? The angel of the Lord, in verse 18, said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Wonderful. The word wonderful means beyond understanding. You you can't get my name. Not only can you not say it, you can't even grasp my name. It covers all that he is, all that he really is. His name is beyond our ability to comprehend because he's so high and mighty and lifted up and amazing and and." admirable and worshipful. We, we cannot grasp all that this Jesus is. He's so far above us and beyond us, yet he's here for this short time with them. So Manoah does as he's told. He offers the goat to the Lord, the one who works wonders, the passage says, the same word of Jesus. And, and the only wonder to this point is that, that he said that they're gonna have a son, but they believe at least that much of the word. The wonder, Isaiah 9.6 says that Jesus' name is to be Wonderful Counselor. It's the same word, the same word. This counselor who, who comes to us and gives us wisdom and gives us truth and counsels us through life in wonderful, inexplicable, not understandable ways. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's a fuller version of Jesus' name that we celebrate at Christmas. But even that's not far enough because he's so magnificent and exalted and holy. Listen to his word as he reveals himself to prepare to celebrate Christmas. And so, as Manoah offers the sacrifice, he and his wife are watching. The angel of the Lord goes up in the flame to heaven. Manoah and his wife fall on their faces before the Lord. That's what happens. At this point, they know who this was. They know they've just encountered the angel of the Lord. Manoah calls him God, and he's not corrected there. The only immediate and appropriate response for them was to fall down on their face before him. That's what they do. Brothers and sisters, this needs to be our immediate and appropriate response to Jesus at Christmas, to fall before him in worship and admiration and love and devotion. To follow Jesus means to deny ourselves To pick up our cross of identifying with Jesus and follow him. That's what we're doing. That's what we're celebrating. It's how we worship him, following him in all things and through all things for his glory. But then how quickly we lose sight. (laughs) How quickly we lose sight of all that the Lord has said. Manoah looks around. And the angel of the Lord went up in the flame. and He he, he fell on his face, but now he he looks up, he looks around, there's nobody around anymore. So what does he say? Here in Judges 13, verse 21, The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord, and Manoah said to his wife, We're going to (laughs) die. We just saw God. We're going to die, he said. We're dead. But thankfully, the Lord had left Manoah's wise wife there to help him. She said, Just listen to what he said. He said, we're going to have a son, and we need to raise him this way. Why would he tell us all of that if he was just going to kill us? Why would he accept worship from us? Come on, man. (laughs) Listen (laughs) to the word of the Lord. And she does it lovingly and gently, carefully. But Manoah still wasn't listening carefully. He wasn't listening to the Lord fully. He heard what he wanted to hear, and he started to act on that, and then he got afraid. His wife said, no, listen, let's do what he said for us to do. This is what we need to hear to prepare for Christmas. The words of Christ prepare us for Christmas. Even before he came to earth as a man, he was speaking to us. He was teaching us who he is, delivering God's people, even when they weren't listening to him. You see in verse 24 who this boy was when he was born. His name was Samson. And the Lord used Samson for his purposes of beginning the deliverance from the Philistines. Everything that Jesus said was going to happen, happened. But there was a difference. There was a huge difference that we need to see and that we need to be aware of at Christmas. Between the angel of the Lord Jesus and the Christmas Jesus. This will help us prepare as well. Because Christmas is so special. It's so important for Jesus to be born here. Because rather than being the angel of the Lord who comes for a time and speaks and then leaves. At Christmas, Jesus is our Emmanuel, our with us God. Jesus became a man while never stopping to be God. He became God with us. So now he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The angel of the Lord was Jesus in power and might and prophecy and speaking deliverance when Jesus came to earth as a man he delivered on that deliverance. And now he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never goes back up into heaven in that flame of fire. He never comes for a short time and then leaves again. He's always with us. So we celebrate all that Jesus is, all that Jesus does, everything that he says, and we prepare for that celebration by listening to him, by remaining in him and his words because he is the God with us, Saviour. You'll see that at the end of your notes, the application is blank. And here's the reason. We've got some questions for you to consider. We want you to fill in this application yourself as you think about and ponder these questions. What have you been hearing from the Lord in His Word that you've been ignoring or disobeying? What have you been not listening to from His Word? Now, we're not saying, you know, go into a room and close a door and try to listen to, to a voice. We're not saying, you know, try to start listening for audible voices. All that we need for life and godliness, he's given to us here in his word. As we go to his word, what are we not listening to? Are you listening? When Peter, James, and John saw Jesus transfigured before them on the mountain, and Peter just started talking, what did God interrupt him to say? This is my beloved son. Listen To him. Listen to Jesus. The space of application is intentionally left for you to fill in. It's blank. Think about the commands of Jesus. His instructions that we've gone through over several weeks and months. And that you've gone through yourself in his word. Maybe it's loving others or serving him by serving others. Write down what Jesus has said in his word to you that you're not doing. Write down the excuse that you've been using not to obey or, or the idea that you had that was a better plan. Write that down and then cross it out. <laughs> Confess that. Repent of that. And pray that he will enable you to begin to obey what He's said to you in love. That will help us prepare for Christmas. If you can't think of something, maybe you're not hearing him. Um. Write down in that space how you'll begin to listen to him this week. I'm going to listen to his word read. I'm going to listen to me read it. I'm going to listen to someone else read it. I'm going to listen to him in his word. I'm going to find a way to hear what he wants me to do in this life. The reason that he saved me is for his glory, to grow in holiness, to love others. All of these things that we've been learning about If we can't think of something, write down how you will listen to him. This is the appropriate response to him. This is how we can celebrate Christmas and how we can prepare to celebrate Christmas. To see that we've fallen short, but to joyfully submit to him, confessing that and trusting his grace to forgive us and to give us a life that is abundant, an abundant life, an eternal life of joy for his forgiveness. If you don't know him, you can't hear him. You can read the words on the page, but they're not going to sink into your heart the way that he will enable them to sink into your heart. You need to come to know Jesus. If you don't know him, we'd love to tell you about him. We can't wait to share the joy that we have in him with you if you'll come and talk with us after the service. You're invited up here always to come pray with us, to to talk with us about this Lord, to come to hear his voice as he speaks. Father, we pray that we will do that. Father, that we will come to you. God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ, our God and Savior and Lord, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, when we sin, it's not you who has gone away. It's not you who have moved, but God, we've turned from you. So, Father, I pray that you would reveal to us any, any sinful ways, any wicked ways God, thoughts that we've had or feelings or words or actions that we've had that we shouldn't have. God, that that bring dishonor to you. We pray for your forgiveness for those. God, we pray that you would work in us, move in us, God, to grow in love for you, that we'd learn more about who you are. God, about how you've, you've sent your son to die for us, to suffer because of our sins. Father, I pray that we would have open ears to hear how you have loved us, how Jesus has lived for us and died for us. God, I pray that that we would have those words, his words on our minds and our hearts, ready to share them with those people around us. God, the people around us are hearing good things and nice things about this time of year. Father, I pray that we would hear the terrible things we need to hear about sin so that we can hear the amazing, gracious, wonderful rejoicing words of Jesus, that we can have forgiveness, that we can have fellowship with you. Father, we praise you. We thank you. Thank you, God, that we can celebrate Jesus Christ, God becoming man. Father, thank you for his work, for his sacrifice. Father, I pray that we would live that every day, not just at Christmas, not just at Christmas time, but God, throughout the year, that you would be glorified, that we would be rejoicing, that we'd be full of hope, and peace in you, in Jesus' name, amen.